Shut up and sit down. Hello strangers and welcome to episode 62 of Strangers in a Cinema. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts Paul Anderson and now married uh, here with Pete Wall and our guest host Mr Mark Brennan is back with us this week. How are we gents? Good. I love the way that you really naturally announced that you're married at the beginning of the episode. That was seamless. Uh, yeah, doing well. Uh, good to have Mark back on as well, because uh, last week, um, well, for second appearance on the show last week, but first as co-host, and now it's a trifecta. It's the third this time around. How's it going, Mark? Really well, thank you. Thanks for having me back. I'm glad last week wasn't too much of a disaster that you do welcome me back to the podcast. So, uh, yeah, cheers. And thanks well, for having me watch some gems this week. Well, this is the thing, like, because obviously, you know, the idea was you were sitting in for me and then I, I you know, I did eventually come back from Mauritius. I've been in Mauritius, by the way. I don't know if anyone's aware of this. Uh, so he got was, married. Yes. Yeah, so I came back. I came back from Mauritius. And then we thought, you know, with the idea of the fact that we, we, we made you book tickets to see Geostorm, we couldn't really not have you back on the podcast, to be fair. So, well, it's um, just, it was just like yeah. the, the most vital <laughs> piece of cinema of the year. So we had to go, go three deep in the booth for this one <laughs> to get all of our thoughts across. And uh, I know Mark very graciously says that he's happy to come back. I also know though, Mark, that you're missing out on your beloved Tottenham's, uh, Carabao Cup game tonight. So it's not all good from your end, I would imagine. It's not. I hopefully I'm earning myself a three nil halftime score by the time this is done. That would yeah, be yeah. nice. Keep, keep the live updates on and uh, <laughs> okay. Good sports. Right, where yes. are we? <laughs> right, where are we? Pete, take us through what we're going to hear today. So, uh, people who listen to this show will know we have a format. The format starts with us jumping into the foyer. When we're in the fo- foyer, we talk about something relevant to films um, uh, of late, I suppose. This week, though, we're going to connect the foyer section with Paul's trip to Mauritius for this momentous part of his life uh, which has been the last couple of weeks uh, Paul what exactly is the topic for this week's foyer uh, the section? topic uh, this week for in the foyer is uh, in-flight entertainment or more specifically uh, in-flight movies um, now I think we like I to, to what we're actually going to discuss is kind of like what's the maybe not the weirdest film or the most memorable sort of in-flight movie you've experienced I will give a lot of credit to Emirates Airlines though and I'm not advertising them there was literally hundreds of films to pick from on this flight. It was genuinely incredible. There was a lot of new releases. They had a film club. I had my first Bollywood experience on the plane, just watching a film. There was no like great dancing <laughs> or, or, or things like that. Um, I watched I watched the Charlie Chaplin film on the plane. So the, the the kind of the film selection on the plane on the way to and from Mauritius was was incredible. So basically, I want to open it up to both you and Mark. Uh, and kind of what's your most memorable uh, film plane, plane film experience and why, really? Well, the one I've picked out, Paul, is um, probably not for the, the best reasons, but this was on a flight um, I took back from Miami a couple of years back, visiting my sister over there, and uh, it's the film Kajaki, which I think I may have reviewed on the show, so forgive me if that's the case, but um, I won't get into loads of detail other than to say that the reason this sticks out in my head as a sort of in-flight bit of entertainment is because... I don't know if you know much about this movie, but it's sort of a docudrama um, based around the British military and based on a true story. And it essentially sets up a piece of limited storytelling where a squadron, because you can tell I'm a military man when I start talking about war films, uh, a group of guys, uh, they are caught in a live minefield. And the film is incredibly tense because any false move could lead to loss of limbs or loss of life. I decided to watch this on a plane for the first time. So I spent the duration of the film just suddenly like almost jumping out of my chair with terror, which I think on a transatlantic flight probably isn't the best thing to like settle the nerves of your fellow passengers. So yeah, Kajaki is one I'm always going to remember from from flight entertainments, I guess. What about you guys? Uh, Mark, what's your... Uh, what's your um, I haven't ever watched like a, a, an odd film on a plane. My most memorable experience of watching any film on a plane is, is kind of embarrassing because of what it was. Now, I don't know if this was jet lagged or if I was exhausted from, from the trip I was on. I think I was flying back from America. But I found myself watching uh, Stuart Little 2. And oh, for some reason, <laughs> something in this film... Uh, I think it was Nathan Lane being the voice of, I think the cat's called Snowbell or something like that. He said something or he made some joke 
and I just found it so funny. You know, when you just you cannot stop laughing. I'm crying, I'm crying and gibbering and shaking next to this woman, all while trying to make her see that I'm not watching Stuart Little too. Because why would I be laughing that much at Stuart Little too? But um, I ended up having to to go to the toilet. Obviously, in the toilet, I didn't do it in the seat. But it was it was that funny. <laughs> this, this scene in in Stuart Little too that I had to get up and leave and walk away because I just could not stop laughing. Is that is it worth watching the film for? Because I can't, I can't say I've seen Stuart Little too. But now you you're, need you're to, tempting me. Do you need to have got the sort of a backstory of provided by Stuart Little to go into Stuart Little too, or can you be a complete noob to the Stuart Little universe? Um, I think you can be a noob. I don't think you need to know the law of Stuart, Stuart Little, Little in order to get the sequel. That's coming. You watch the. You made me. You made me think, Mark, as well about. I, I don't know. I'm sure you guys have seen that uh, Will Ferrell movie, Blaze of Glory. The line in that film, I watched the, the film on a plane again, but where he says, get out of my face, and the response is, I'll get inside your face. And that just hit me so hard on the plane <laughs> that I think I did the, the exact same as you. I'm like shaking in my seat like a weirdo because uh, nobody else knows what you're listening to or watching, I guess. Paul, what's your pick for uh, this Mine is section? from this, this recent trip to Mauritius. I don't know if you've brought that up as to where I've been or not. I've was it on Emirates Airlines, one of the most expensive <laughs> airlines? It was, right? yes. Okay. Yeah, it was, uh, did you get married? I did, yeah. It was a fairly luxurious trip, to be honest. Um, okay. I've had I've had worse times away. You saw dolphins, giant tortoise. That was it was good. Yeah. Well, you know, you've yeah. had an amazing. But I've broken my hand, so we've both had cool experiences well, the yes. last couple of weeks. Yes. Um, well, yes. So, yes, my airline experience, my airline film experience, um, is actually the fact that I thought, do you know what? I'm sitting there in front of a film. I've got no option but to sit there and watch this. I didn't think I'd like Bollywood films, and I did allude to this earlier. I watched a 1949 Bollywood film. That's right, a 1949 Bollywood film. What a pretentious prick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Glad you said it. <laughs> uh, called Andaz. Um, and do you know what? I really bloody enjoyed it. It was incredibly melodramatic. This is going into like a popcorn review now, isn't it? Which is not the point. Uh, no, I really, I really enjoyed my first taste of Bollywood. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was very over the top, um, very overblown. The songs are incredibly long and might take some getting used to, but, um, yes, I've now not written off Bollywood. So that's my, uh, my flight experience for you. It's kind of, it sounds like the kind of thing that married people do, to be fair, watching <laughs> films on expensive airlines, Paul. Um, <laughs> So well, thanks, I think. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, that uh, quickly cobbled together section <laughs> is going to constitute into the foyer. Um, what we've got coming up next is our popcorn movies right after this. Okay, was that? That yeah, funny sorry, noise. That's you, fine. Yeah. yeah, are you sure you we go. can carry on after yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Was that when you when you heard a pirate? It was a pirate impression of some description, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, so fine. yeah, so sorry. Um, after that interruption, we're back with popcorn movies. Um, a slight change of the format this week because there are three of us talking, so we're all going to have uh, one popcorn movie each. Um, let's start with our guest, Mark Brennan. Popcorn movie. Okay, recently I revisited uh, the conversation which is the 1974 thriller by Francis Ford Coppola, starring Gene Hackman as a surveillance expert. And I haven't seen this film in in a really long time. Um, But what struck me about it is, I don't know if you guys have seen it recently or or remember it, but there is like a 25-minute scene in the film, which is literally just about six or seven people at a party in his flat just talking. And and in in a film that's got surveillance... uh, at its heart and you know kind of cat and mouse things going on uh to have a huge chunk of of the film just in this one scene in this party is something i don't recall seeing in any other kind of hollywood film recently or 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 there since it was it was very much like a play with a film either side of it um and i thought it was great i thought it was absolutely fantastic and what i did like as well is that the the, I think there's a nod to this potentially in, in Enemy of the State, which Gene Hackman was in much later on, that that might be his character and that might be a continuation. Yeah. I did I did look it up and they have got different names, oh, but okay. I think for all intents and purposes, it, it's it's that guy kind of, you know, 20 years later. It's and, flatliners um, all over again. It is for you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just a, a, a cracking film, honestly. It's got young Harrison Ford in it. It's got a nice little uh, small Harrison part of Robert Duvall's in it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, and it's just a, it's an absolute cracking, cracking film and a great character piece for Gene Hackman and just made me miss him all over again because we obviously we don't see him anymore and he's just, he's just incredible and there's no one like him. And, uh, if you haven't seen him for a while and you want to fix, I highly recommend going back to the conversation. Well, yeah, I, I agree with that on, on the Gene Hackman front because I watched Unforgiven again the other day for the first time in ages. And yeah, it's like when you see him on screen, it's, it's, it's been a while since he retired and there is some rumor that he retired because it's, I, I think his final interview was something I don't think he's very happy with happy with the way that Hollywood went so I don't think we will ever see him out of retirement but uh, yeah he is certainly a presence that I think is is missed um, and absolutely the superb I haven't seen that probably since university so it's been a while for me Pete have you seen the conversation I never have yeah okay. it's, it's on my list well, there's, but, some yeah, homework. there's some homework for you right there it's a superb film um, yes Pete what's your popcorn movie for the week oh Paul my popcorn movie for this week is one that I've been looking forward to for a very long time because when they announced that the director and the three key cast members of this film I almost wept with joy it is the film Certain Women from director Kelly Reichardt that you may know from things like uh, Night Moves or Meek's Cutoff Uh, a sort of visual stylist I think with very few equals in modern filmmaking and the three cast members that I'm speaking of are Laura Dern, Michelle Williams and Kristen Stewart. Now listeners to this show will know how much I rate Kristen Stewart at this point Um, if you're not yet caught up uh, with the fact that Kristen Stewart's a fantastic actress you know I'll give you a bit of time I can be patient but you'll get there uh, <laughs> Michelle Williams is, is incredible in almost everything and Laura Dern might be my favourite actress uh, this film is a very difficult one to, to really uh, maybe get across what it is that would appeal because it's very very slow burning even by Kelly Reichardt's own standards um, it essentially involves interconnected lives but not in that way you know like at the turn of the 2000s when there were all those films made about like interlinking life stories and you know crash and those kinds of things Um, crash jesus yes (laughs) yeah i mean maybe coming at the tail end of those i suppose but this one is much more subtle so we have at the beginning um laura dern's character is has obviously just had some kind of sexual uh, encounter with a man we later find out that that man is married to michelle williams character and is obviously having an affair but then there's a connection to the fact that um the person who looks after the horses on michelle Williams Ranch is going to a night class at sort of a night school and her teacher is played by Kristen Stewart's character so these lives touch one another without ever having a huge impact or a sort of direct impact but what is so great about certain women is the the Acting, obviously, it almost goes without saying with the calibre of people involved. Yeah, it's a solid cast. The the way that all of the stories, although um, seemingly a little disparate and just geographically connected, are linked by this sense of longing and the sense that the three women, in fact, four women, there's another actress, um, and I don't know if I've got her name to hand, but the actress who plays the, um, I don't know what you call that, like a horse wrangler, maybe, um, she is also fantastic in this. They're all trying to get somewhere or they're all trying to achieve something more than their current situation without ever being able to quite get to that place because things are standing in the way. Um, I, I'm being very vague because I don't want to sort of spoil anything for people who might find that this is in their wheelhouse, but this is one of my favourite films of the year without question. It will be on my top 10 films of the year and I'll talk about it again. Okay. But if you've got any interest in Kelly Reichardt's work, any of those actresses, or just stories about human beings, which is something that I really try to champion on this show, then please, please, please check out Certain Women. It's available on DVD and I think Blu-ray at the moment. Um, yeah, it's uh, well, well, well worth Good. your time. I will, I will give it a look. Yeah. Um, yes, no, that does sound very good in fairness. Um yeah, so my popcorn movie, um, it's another another box set, that another Blu-ray box set, surprise, surprise, has turned up. Um, and this time, it's the complete Chucky collection. So this is all of the Child's Play movies. Uh, so I've started from the beginning, Pete, because I know how much Pete, especially Mark, you, I think you might have heard before when I bring up a horror series, Pete loves me talking about one horror film, one horror film a week. So there was the House Collection. I don't think right. I treated you to all of the Phantasm reviews, although I probably should have done so. But I'm starting from scratch, and I started last night with Child's Play uh, from 1988, directed by Tom Holland, um, which was the introduction of the now fairly... Not, not Spider-Man Tom Holland. No, not Spider-Man Tom Holland. Is that Fright Night Tom Holland? Uh, I believe it probably is Fright Night Tom Holland, in fairness. I don't. I can't say that with any certainty, but you've prob- you're probably right, Mark, to be fair. 
Um, so, yes, so the introduction of the character Chucky in the film Child's Play. Um, this is a film that actually, I think, it doesn't get as much love as it deserves. I actually think it's, in places, it's a very scary and quite effective slasher. Um, there's certain, there's certain scenes, especially towards the end when you've got like a slightly more burnt and terrifying looking Chucky doll that is actually quite, quite unsettling. And I actually rate this as a bit of a, a slasher gem, to be perfectly honest. The sequels kind of, the sequels take a, a rocky path as you normally find with, with a horror series. But Child's Play, if you haven't seen it already, um, obviously there was, there's some sort of quite nasty controversy attached to it. Um, from the I think in the ninety round about the nineties time. Oh yes, yeah, I remember that. What, what, sorry, the, the Jamie what? Bol the Jamie Bolger killings. The, okay, the, the kids that killed Jamie Bolger um, apparently had been watching Child's Play two, I think, beforehand, and then the media got hold of Child's Play as like the, and basically blamed it for the the Jamie Bolger murder, basically. Um, so I think there was some, I don't think it ever got banned, but there was some talk of banning Child's Play at the time. And, the, and then the films kind of disappeared from view. Which um, seems like, though, I mean, it, maybe it's a, a my knee-jerk reaction, but it seems like one of those cases where you could probably dismiss that entirely out of hand. Because yes, the people yes. that commit those kinds of, you know, incredibly terrible crimes have probably seen scores and scores of different films yeah. and pieces of media. And, and it's very easy to sort of, like you say, the media sort of jump onto one thing and blame that for... And I think kind of because of that, certainly in this country at least, I think the series kind of got... I think unfair treatment to be, to be perfectly frank, and I. But yeah, I think that if you're a fan of horror and haven't seen Child's Play or haven't seen it for a while, revisit it, and I think you'll be in for a pleasant surprise. Um, but that's about it for popcorn movies, um, and we'll be back after this with coming attractions. So, coming attractions, what are we excited about coming out? I've changed my pick because I was going to go for Lady Bird, which is Greta Gerwig's director, to, directorial, easy for me to say, debut, but that's <laughs> been pushed three months and won't be out till February. So instead, I'm going with uh, Call Me By Your Name, which releases this coming weekend on the 27th of October, at least in the UK. Not in Sydney World in Cheltenham, I bet. Uh, I believe not, <laughs> no. Um, it's the latest from uh, Louis Guadagnino, let's say. <laughs> somewhere close to that. L L Louis? Luca. Luca Guad... I can't pronounce any part of this guy's name. Well, it makes a change to be honest, because you're normally the one picking everyone up on their pronunciation, so... Um, Guadagnino. Guadagnino? Let's go with that. Um, yeah, this is the director of both uh, I Am Love and A Bigger Splash, both of which I like a lot. I Am Love in particular is absolutely gorgeous, uh, and A Bigger Splash was loads of sort of freewheeling fun, um, and uh, linked by uh, sort of a load of great performances but i thought a bigger splash was the david hockney documentary so which i think might also be called a bigger splash but anyway sorry i've always confused those two films I this one paul <laughs> um is set in 1983 um and is uh, about uh, an american professor enamored by a graduate student uh, who comes to study with his family in italy um i am love is also set in italy and uh, to be fair a bigger splash might be in italy too but all the cast are speaking english um, yeah, really excited, not least because of the fact that the meta score at this point is 95 out of a possible 100. This has been getting all kinds of awards, uh, sort of praise and, um, yeah, real buzz around this film. It's a shame that we might not get it here, but we'll find it soon enough or I might have to travel to see it. But yeah, that one coming out this weekend is called Call Me By Your Name. Cool. Mark, what have you got? Anything you're particularly excited about? Anything we might, a film we may have heard of? Uh, there's a, a, a little a little known franchise coming out later on uh, in the, at Christmas time. Uh, Star Wars: The Last Jedi. The trailer for that Star came Wars, out last week. What's, what's this you speak of? <laughs> it's a it's it's a space opera involving magic and spaceships. Sounds interesting. And, um, I'm, I'm <laughs> take a look at that. I've made it sound awesome. No, um, <laughs> I am looking forward to Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Not just because it's Star Wars, but because I'm very interested to see what Ryan Johnson, the director of Brick and Looper can do with that franchise. I thought J.J. Abrams in The Force Awakens was an incredibly safe pair of hands and I think um, a lot of fan service was paid in that first film. I think that film was at its most interesting whenever it tried something we hadn't already seen before. I so I would like to think that that film though required that after the, the bitter taste in the mouth that the prequel trilogy left uh, with a lot of people. So I can see why they played it so face, but I really do hope uh, play, sorry, played it safe, but I really do hope now for this this film that they can get a bit more creative and a bit more inventive and, and try something new and show us something different. And I think 
Ryan Johnson's a really exciting choice to, choice to direct that for that reason. I think it is a bold really choice. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that it was a similar when they tried to get Colin when they got Colin Trevorrow to do Jurassic World, which ultimately was quite disappointing. When he then dropped out of the episode nine, I was quite I wasn't unhappy about that because I wasn't really taken with Jurassic World. But All then they they brought J.J. Abrams back on board <laughs> again, which made me think, oh no, the end of this is just going to be just like The Force Awakens. But J.J. Abrams himself, I read somewhere I think this week or last week, has said that they need to stop playing it safe and they need to try something new. So I'm now hoping that the last film, even though it's back with J.J., will be something we haven't seen yet. But going back to Star Wars The Last Jedi, I think I also read at some point somewhere when J.J. Abrams was asked as to what he thought of this sequel to his film, was someone said, I think it was Greg Grunberg, who's a friend, said something. He's never heard J.J. Abrams say he was massively jealous of, of Ryan Johnson. He, he's never heard him say oh, he was... Okay. He, he's never heard him say he wished he was making that film. He's always right. been very happy with his choices and happy with what he's doing and lets other people do their thing. But this is the first time he's ever said, read the script and said, I wish I was doing that. Okay. So um, I am hopeful that as well as being Star Wars, it will be something a bit different and a bit special and we'll all have a lot of fun with it. And it, it's almost a tie-in. I mean, we'll come on to our thoughts um, in due course, but with the fact that Taika Waititi got Thor Ragnarok and obviously took that in a slightly different direction. Absolutely, so we'll get, yeah. We'll get to that, but it seems like that is uh, maybe not all the rage, but certainly uh, a move that we've been talking about recently where... Um, I don't know if auteur is the right word in this case, but like distinctive filmmakers, maybe younger filmmakers and filmmakers with a bit of cred are then getting the opportunity to take on like a multi-million dollar Yeah, I think, I think so far it hasn't been a raging success in my opinion, but we seem to get, it seems to be we're getting some stronger direct, some stronger younger directors coming through now, I think. Um, and doing these It's certainly the right idea. Stuff. It may have had yeah. some mixed results, but it's definitely, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely a good thing that these directors mm. are being given a go. Absolutely. And and also, uh, uh, sorry to to labour the point, but like Ryan Johnson isn't just anyone, right? Like Ryan no. Johnson isn't Colin Trevorrow. I mean, Colin Trevorrow's background. We had Safety Not Guaranteed, and and then we had Jurassic World, and we had Book of Henry. I mean, the the guy for better or worse is, in my opinion, not sort of a particularly um, significant filmmaker at this point. Whereas Ryan Johnson's pedigree, as Mark mentioned at the beginning of this bit. Uh, I think he's already held and in some incredible really Breaking Bad esteem. episodes as well. Don't forget. Well, the, did, yeah, the yeah. Fly episode yeah. in Breaking Bad, which he did, was one of the strongest ones. Absolutely, yeah. Had, I think. So yeah, no exciting choice. Exciting choice. Um, yes, uh, my ch- my pick for coming attractions um, is my namesake's latest film, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's new film, uh, and apparently Daniel Day Lewis's final film. But we shall see. Yeah. Uh, the fan or Phantom Thread. Um, the trailers dropped this week. It doesn't give a lot away, to be perfectly honest. Um, and I think Daniel Day-Lewis plays this, I would say, slightly... Has anyone else seen this trailer yet this week? Or, no. Um, like no, no, I haven't seen it. Slightly creepy dressmaker, I would say, and it doesn't really give any more away than that. Now, as far as I'm concerned, the reason I'm excited um, is because the last time Paul Thomas Anderson and Daniel Day-Lewis worked together, they gave us possibly... Uh, what I think is might possibly be in my certainly top three or five of all time. <laughs> you said that um, was such top three so or five, might yeah. possibly be yeah, in yeah, my top yeah, three yeah. or five. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, of all time. He has just watched Charles play though. Yeah, yeah which true. is There Will Be Blood. So that's the last time Paul Thomas Anderson and Danny Day Lewis worked together, and There Will Be Blood was incredible. And the last Paul um, Thomas Anderson so. was Inherent Vice Paul, which was fucking great. Yes, which you, I need to rewatch that actually because I didn't go too much on that in the cinema. But yeah, so I it's Paul it. Thomas Anderson, it's Danny Day Lewis. That's about all you need to know, really. To to be fair, um, Mark, where do you stand on where do you stand on Paul Thomas Anderson? Are you a fan or? Um, I haven't seen all of his work. Um, <laughs> no, I haven't seen all. Of it. There will be blood. I think I need to watch again because I don't think I came away with it from it quite as enamoured as you are with okay. it. Um, uh, Boogie Nights, obviously, I think's amazing. I do love Boogie Nights. Uh, again, Magnolia. I don't really. I re- all I remember is Tom Cruise pointing at his dick and, no, and respecting the cock. That's a lot of what I remember from that. And Robert, and that's oh, and also um, William H Macy with his braces. I remember that too. But um, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I think you like him more than I do. There's, un- yeah. there's un- no denying he is an, an auteur, as, as um, Paul used the phrase. Pete used the phrase earlier. But um, yes. but yeah, I think he's an acquired taste. 
And, yes, and also, re- fair, connecting to last week's episode, responsible for one of the very small handful of good Adam Sandler performances. Yes, in, uh, love, yes. yes yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it sounds like from those three picks, there's a hell of a lot to look forward to in the near future. And um, yeah, we'll get into some stuff from the present right after this with our feature reviews. So back we are with feature reviews. Um, when we discussed uh, the running order of the show, which we didn't do this week, what are we going with first? Should we go with Should we go with Geostorm first or Thor Ragnarok first? I, I'm, your... I'm fully geared up for Geostorm. Yeah, Let's Mark, do are you happy to do Geostorm first or just, just oh, I can't get wait. Out of the way, or... can't, I can't wait. <laughs> so I take I take full responsibility for the fact that yeah, when we were discussing what we we're going to do on this week's show after last week's show, I said to Mark, "Hey, how about you get along to uh, Geostorm? We'll cover that because that'll be fun, won't it?" So, sorry everyone, in advance, uh, we all went and saw this thing, and uh, now we will say some words about it. First of all, <laughs> it, it comes from the director, Dean Devlin. Did you guys know anything about Dean Devlin? Uh, Mark on? knows a bit about Dean Devlin, don't you? Mark? Yeah, he's, he's mostly a producer. He's done, like, Independence Day and Godzilla, and he's okay. a producer of big disaster films, traditionally, but not a okay. director. Of big disastrous films, or big disaster <laughs> films. Did I say disastrous? I meant disastrous yeah, disaster yeah, films, think, is what yeah, I meant. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that's so uh, your your Geostorm director Dean Devlin, yeah, obviously has a, a background in this area. Maybe like when we were talking about John Wick and the guys coming from like stunt work and then moving yeah. over into direction and that kind of progression, I, I guess. Uh, here, our tagline is: "Some things were never meant to be controlled." Uh, the basic setup to the film is that there is a ludicrously titled system called Dutch Boy. <laughs> Dutch Boy is a series of satellites oh, that have been set up fair. above the Earth. Why have they been set up? Paul, I will tell you, because the weather has got out of control from the year 2019, I think, to about the year 2022. Things really go haywire. So these satellites are sort of a a network covering the globe that will help to control the weather and keep mankind safe. Nothing could possibly go wrong, right? Here's a clip. Project Zeus. There are tens of thousands of storm simulations in here, and each one is starting in a different place. They all end the same way. A geostorm. I mean, unlike anything we've ever seen. Uh, Dana, can you can you show us just uh, the simulation that begins in Afghanistan? Yeah, sure. Okay. Now, uh, now filter those so that the second malfunction's over Hong Kong. So yeah, that gives you um, a bit of a taste of just what absolute nonsense we're dealing with in this film. Um, where to start with geostorm? Christ. Um, Mark, I'll, t- I'll tell you exactly you where wanna, to start. Okay. I'll tell you where Pete, to start. Pete's going to keep in. Let's start with the fact that, that I think I said this in a message to someone, but this is weather. <laughs> so front and centre here, we have uh, everybody's favourite charisma vacuum, Gerard Butler, um, <laughs> playing opposite his younger brother, a fictional younger brother, who looks a bit like a sort of... Um, better groomed catalogue model version of Paul Weller. I think that's what, I, what I'm going with, with the haircut. Um, You're referring to Jim Sturgis, aren't you, I think? I, I am. Yes. And and then we've got uh, an actress who should know a hell of a lot better, um, Abby Cornish, that you might know from uh, Somersault or Candy or, or better things than yeah, this. Yeah, I can't believe she's turned up. Uh, as a as a FBI agent? A secret service. Secret service agent. Yeah. Um, yes. And then we have some other characters surrounding them. But yeah, first of all, you guys, I want to get your takes. Um, I've obviously gone in and and shown you my hand I didn't think that at least the the two leads here are, are, are anything worth getting excited about um, or even where it's possible to get excited about them what did you think did they work was there anything um, to recommend these guys not really no um, <laughs> to be honest um, my biggest problem with Gerard Butler and with well just more with the, the film in general but certainly Gerard Butler is he is incapable of not taking everything far too seriously in every single role I've seen him play he cannot lighten up at all so again you've got this you've got this absolute just the 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 plot of the film is, is absolute nonsense. He wouldn't pass the medical. He's supposed no. to be the guy to go to space to fix the, the weather satellites. He wouldn't pass the medical. Guy looks like he's been on a, like a drinking bender for about six, <laughs> six months or something. He's like haggard. <laughs> and he just, yeah, on? he just, he and everyone else takes this like shonky material just, just far too seriously. And everyone in the film is, is just not, they're not Mark. Mark, help us out. Yeah, chip him up. Yeah. Are we getting this wrong? Was there anything good about the the two leads in this thing? 
Um, don't ask me that. No, no. Okay, <laughs> this this film to me, I, I think I said this to Paul before. This film to me is when you're watching a film that's about Hollywood or about an actor, and then in that film you see them on set making a shit sci-fi film. That's what this film is. Mm, it's like it's every kind of ridiculous Hollywood trope and cliche is in there. And the the casting of Gerard Butler as a scientist, astronaut, genius with an I mean, he can't even pull off like an American accent, let alone astrophysics, which is why it's bizarre to me that in this film, both him and Jim Sturgis, who are not very good at doing American accents, they have to throw in a line at some point where uh, they establish the fact that they were actually born in the UK. And that line seems to be there for no other <laughs> yeah. reason than to explain away their dreadful accent, which is awful. True. And speaking of dreadful accents, you've got Robert Sheehan in there, who was absolutely fantastic in, in The Misfits, who's, you know, as Irish as they come. And they've got him putting on this ridiculous Cockney accent on board the International Space Station, where surely he can have any accent he fucking chooses because it's the International Space Station. If he's Irish, let him be Irish. Why make can be a cockney if that's not what he is or if you want a cockney go get a cockney go get bradley walsh you know or uh, someone like that and this that would have been much bradley better walsh, than robert yes. <laughs> that would have been a lot better you know you know it's just it's just maddening to me and the whole film you know i mentioned earlier that he's a producer that's done a lot of stuff i think this film to me is someone that's spent a lot of time producing other people's work he's made a lot of people a lot of money over the years and he's just said you know what i fancy giving this disaster film a go i want to direct something and he's pulled in all his favors and all his mates and he's just this is like a hundred million dollar or however much it costs kind of pet project that that you made me watch so you, thank you i mean you, you mentioned bradley walsh uh, i'm thinking danny dyer maybe in that role so oh yeah, like, yeah, easy. I'll, t- easy. I'll tell you, I'll tell you why I've done this because, like, like I'm right naughty. <laughs> That'll be the justification <laughs> for uh, messing with Danny Dyer in space is what I wanted to see. That because, would have been much better. And and here's the thing, right? Here's the thing as well with, with this movie that you know we are going into a movie as an adult called Geostorm. We're not expecting this to be any great piece of art. At the same time, I want it to be entertaining. That is the the minimum is for it to be entertaining. Think about the last film of this ilk that we all went to see, perhaps at the cinema. I, I would say is probably San Andreas. At the centre of San Andreas, we have uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, who has a whole load of char- charisma to burn. Whether you like him or loathe him, whether you enjoyed the film or you didn't, I actually thought it was pretty good uh, for what it was. That film looks like a masterpiece compared to this because it was, <laughs> it, was, it was exciting and kind of enjoyable and silly. This film tries to have it both ways. It tries to take itself really, really seriously. And then later on, when we get those bits with the, the president and Ed Harris and, and sort of escaping from the, the Ed Democratic Harris with the bazooka, no co- convention. Yeah, oh, tri- Ed Harris with the bazooka. Oh but my this God. is it. It tries to be tongue in cheek and it completely but like it flumps it, yeah, that I, thing. I, I it, completely agree with you. It does. It just it flumps that completely. Like things that could have been there's a lot in this that could have been paid for laughs the whole concept of the film is stupid and the fact there's there's one point where it's like five seconds till geostorm and then <laughs> and then they stop it with three seconds to spare and the storms just dissipate and you're like that fucking wouldn't happen and also, like, also, like, also like all the like shit loads of damage has yeah. already been done yeah. it's like oh we saved the what no you didn't yeah. millions and millions of dollars have are gonna have to be plowed into repairing dubai and all the other places around the world loads of people are definitely dead so gerard butler hasn't really done too no, much and also to especially the special effects weren't even all that either. Like in, in this film, it's made all oh, you know. Bad, if, the, if the effect shots are, are, are fantastic, then you might you, you kind of you half give it a pass, I suppose. They weren't even. There was nothing here we haven't seen before. The effects weren't very good, and there's nothing you haven't seen in 2012, which also wasn't no. very good. But it was well, the space stuff this. wasn't bad. I read somewhere yeah, that the film actually had a, actually had a good. lot of problems. In fact, I read somewhere that the film wrapped in like 2014. Oh, wow. And it was in 2016 they were even going back to do reshoots, which is the right. only thing I can think explains Jim Sturgis's terrible wig, where you can see his hair coming away from his <laughs> yeah. neck throughout the whole film. That's all I could watch, and every scene was, that he was in was was his hair coming off the back of his neck. It was. Just I thought Jim, Jim Sturgis should probably retire from acting in between as well, because I haven't seen him in anything for years anyway. So. I, I would suggest maybe he does now. <laughs> that was just it was yeah it was just dreadful. But yeah, with the special effects, I think they did go back and add some. 
right, um, okay. a few years later, which is why maybe Probably the stuff in space looks, well, looks yeah. all right, yeah. but the stuff on the ground doesn't look so good. Yeah. Well, whoever had the, the board with the button for lightning effect got very, very like, ramped up on energy drinks or something. Because there's a section of this film that is just lightning, 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 lightning. And it's hitting everything, but not really having any discernible impact on any of that environment. No. It's really... Well, really look, quite look, we could slag this film off for in the next hour or so, but we're not going to do that. We're going to have a little bit of a break, and then we're going to be back with our review of Thor Ragnarok. So, Thor Ragnarok, Paul, is the kind of film that I would come into with some trepidation, and you would probably be more excited than me, and then I would review it, and I would say, yeah, it was alright, all superhero films are kind of the same. Except for the fact that this one is directed, as I mentioned earlier on, by one Taika Waititi that we know from recently, uh, What We Do in the Shadows, more recently, Hunt for the Wilder People, both of which are absolutely incredible. This Kiwi director with this really sort of offbeat sense of humour has been given a lot of money and a lot of power and 180 million dollars and chris hemsworth's uh, rippling abdominal muscles so what we have is is thor ragnarok paul i'm gonna completely flub this bit if i try and explain <laughs> the the setup what's the setup for thor ragnarok uh the setup i think in short is that um thor uh thor and well thor's sister has arrived on the scene um and she's not very nice um and basically uh, wants to take over Asgard. Um, Thor is then um, Thor is then kind of kicked off to an uh, wakes up having fought her, failed to fight her very well. Uh, wakes up on an alien world, um, which is ruled by uh, quite frankly amazing Jeff Goldblum character. Um, ends up encountering Hulk, which you've seen in the trailer. Uh, has a bit of a has a bit of a tangle with the Hulk, and then they all go back and fight. Is this the setup or is this the entire, the entire film? The entire film, basically. I'm doing a Peter Bradshaw review, so... Um, yeah. I like it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, we, just to throw in as well that, that um, one of the people who joins the, the clan led by Chris Hemsworth's Thor character is played by uh, Tessa Thompson um, and is, uh, a, I think, a very welcome addition to this, uh, this universe. But um, before we go any further, let's hear a clip. In any case, you know this, uh, this, uh, you call yourself Lord of Thunder. God of Thunder. <laughs> I have never met this man in my life. He's my brother. Adopted. Is he any kind of a fighter? <laughs> you take this thing out of my neck and I'll show you. Oh, listen to that. He's threatening me. Hey, Sparkles, here's the deal. If you want to get back to Ass uh, Place, Asberg. As God. Any contender who defeats my champion, their freedom they shall win. Fine, then point me in the direction of whoever's ass I have to kick. So yeah, I think you can get uh, you get a, a good sense of the tone from that, and also a good sense of Jeff Goldblum's character. I'm probably going to mention Jeff Goldblum a lot in this review because I think he's fantastic in this. Um, yeah, I think for me, guys, this film really, really works because I think Eve, possibly even more so than Guardians of the Galaxy, I think for me it's one of the first Marvel films to truly embrace just how silly they actually are and how silly the subject matter is. Um, and I very much like how this is played all, almost completely as a broad comedy. Um, and I appreciated that a lot. I couldn't agree more. I, I think I've seen a, a review from, from someone relatively prominent um, in the, the film community recently saying that one of the problems they have with this film is that it all seems a bit inconsequential because of all the light relief. This stuff is inconsequential. The sooner that people realise that, that superhero movies are fundamentally inconsequential, we can just all start having a better time and not taking ourselves so seriously. So... Yeah, I, I had a, a great time with Thor Ragnarok. Mark, what's your, your first impression or what was your first impression here? Oh, it's it's so much fun. It was. I agree with everything you guys have said. I think um, the, the humour it has from from Taika Waititi is, is absolutely nailed it. But I think for me at times there were, it was in danger of going a little too silly. Um, mostly there's a particular cameo that pops up near the start, which I think almost took it out of being what it is for the rest of the film and almost turned it into you know a spoof space balls kind of style with with this with this particular cameo that, that pops up um you guys probably know who who i'm talking about um yeah but the other cameos in the same scene were awesome though that's the thing yeah that that, that was great but this particular one was almost like a point and say look who it is which takes you out of yeah. the world that this is because it brings it brings you back to the real world because it, it's like when you put you know ed sheeran in game of thrones it just snaps you right out of it when you yeah. see this person you're kind of like oh hang on a minute i'm supposed to be watching a fantasy like away from all of this you've just now made it 
something sort of gimmicky and a bit. Mm. And I, I don't, I don't think that did this film any favors. But that's not to say that this film isn't superb because it is. I mean, every in every other respect, the humor that it's been brought to it, the freshness to it, which you don't get in a lot of other superhero films. It's not like any other superhero film in terms of the fun and the bonkers. The closest you get is the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise, and I would, I was slightly disappointed that there wasn't any kind of reference to that stable of films in this film because it's the natural bridge between the space kind of stories of marvel and the 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 kind of more earthly ones and uh, i think this being set in space i thought it was a a kind of a a natural fit to get some sort of nod or reference to 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 the others especially as they're probably all going to be seen together in infinity war next year but um no i loved it it was just fun from from start to finish and i love i love again and we talked a bit about ryan johnson being a bold choice for star wars i think it was a bold choice to put taika waititi in charge of this you know because you knew i'm glad that we got what we were all expecting from a taika waititi film and that's kind of a such a departure from the last thor film dark world which i thought was dreadful um it's they've almost just done a whole reset from it and done something totally different and it's just fantastic yeah, I think it's um, and it, it's it's interesting you say about like the the tone of it and the and the comedic purposes because IGN did a thing where they put comments to the director and they put the comments to him and someone said, well, you know, the disappointing thing is, I think you mentioned a similar thing earlier, Pete, is that the guy went, it doesn't seem like a serious superhero film; it seems like a comedy. And Taika Waititi just went, well, it is. <laughs> <It's like that. laughs> yeah. So it Fair. is a comedy, and it, I think that's you know that's that's what. That's what really worked for me. It's, and we, just... uh, dude, like, if we want a serious superhero film, like, if that person wants a serious superhero film or a, a film that takes itself more seriously, you've got your pick. You've got, like, 20-plus films yeah. of that ilk that we've had over the last 10 years. So it's great to see something different. No, and I think, for, for me, the Marvel for me, the Marvel films after after last year were, were almost dead to me, to be honest. You, you say that I get more excited about them, you, and I think that, to a point, you're, you're right. But I think after, after, for me, Doctor Strange and Civil War, which I thought both were just okay... Um, and this year, I think Marvel have just come back and gone, yes, look, we're back. Um, Guardians 2 was great. Uh, I re- quite enjoyed Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, and this, uh, Thor Ragnarok for me is probably my favorite, probably my favorite Marvel of the year. I just think it just worked on every level. And also, I think what Tika Wahiti does as well is he brings out, and I think he said he was willing to, going to do this anyway, is he said he thinks that Chris Hemsworth is a much better comedic actor than he actually gets credit for. And this film proves it because Chris Hemsworth, is hilarious in this, and it's his, he is. He's, his interplay with Tom Hiddleston is absolutely fantastic. I think those two have such good chemistry together. I I I know this could get me like laughed out of town, but when I came out of this film, one thing that I posited to my girlfriend that I was with is that I, with the strength of Chris Hemsworth's performance in this film, I kind of wish that we lived in a world where that sort of performance would be in the running for an Oscar nomination. Because, yeah, I know, I kind of I see where you're coming from, yeah. Because, yeah, yeah of course, it's not serious acting, uh, it, you know, it's self-serious acting. It's not about uh, a, a slow decline into death. It's not about uh, someone surviving the Holocaust. But it's so difficult to do both viable action hero and comedic timing on beat you know perfect sort of responsive acting in the Mm. way that he does here that i think that that should be recognized and not just sort of disparaged as oh well it's you know in a comic book movie so it's not in that category do you do you see what i'm what i'm trying to get oh absolutely that's something that kevin smith felt very strongly about with michael rooker's performance in guardians of the galaxy 2 you know he said it would be a crime if he's not nominated for best supporting actor and if you think of the impact his character has on that film and the performance he has in that how layered it is how emotional and Mm. funny and kind of strong it is it is a shame that those films kind of are, are dismissed out of hand because of the nature of what they are rather than the craft that's gone into them so it would be nice if eventually that could be addressed somehow. I mean, if, if, if the upward curve, as Paul says this year, there has been one with Marvel. You know, if there is an upward curve in, in the, the freshness and the originality and the quality of these films, then maybe that day will come. I don't think it's going to anytime soon, but I agree with you that it does deserve a lot more recognition than it'll probably no, I, get. Yeah, I, I agree. With you. I, I think in terms of a genre piece, I don't think it could have been much better, to be honest. Um, we haven't mentioned Kate Blanchett on on villain duties as his evil sister, the goddess yeah, of death. Yeah, Hel- Hella is um, the character. She was great. Clearly, she's great. I think everyone's great in this. And, to be and I love, I love with with that Hella character this sort of um, like arachnid antlers that yeah. she had that sort of in certain scenes would move. There's one scene where they're sort of pointed forwards rather than upwards. And yeah, I, I love the the costume design in that sense. Of it doesn't sound like a, a silly thing to talk about. I think it's pretty 
prominent. No, I think the art, I think the art design was fantastic, and again, I think you know the film does owe a debt to Guardians. I think without a doubt, and I do, I still, you know, I think Guardians of the Galaxy will be remembered as the one that made them kind of up their game a little bit and realise if they absolutely a bit different, it can pay off. Um, sorry, Mark, go on. And on that one you said about the, the costume and the production design, I think it, it looks like a Guardians of the Galaxy film. It like does, those yeah. sets and that planet yeah. and the people there, it looked so much like it was part of that world. It just, it was crying out to, to actually see a direct reference, even if it had been the character that James Gunn's brother plays in the film. You know, just seeing him selling something to the Grandmaster and then, you know, buggering off, you know, just at the start of a scene or something. Just something to kind of link them together because it, the film was a natural natural bifrost bridge between the two so it's just a shame they didn't um, do something with that other um other characters performances we haven't mentioned as well we, we've got a uh, dread of course uh carl urban playing yeah. scourge who i thought was really really good yeah. <laughs> in this in this film and i had like enough to do to make it a fairly central role and i thought pulled that off with with real aplomb and then of course the comic character made out of rocks is i believe taika watiti Himself. Yes, indeed. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah. this guy—it's uh, one of those times where I just feel sort of ag- admiration and sort of great envy. The guy is forty-two years old, has this kind of cult back catalogue of hugely popular comedy films, yeah. both in his own country and worldwide. Has now taken on this project, really like breathed new life into the Thor franchise, and then is also maybe the funniest thing in the film. <laughs> what a guy what a guy yeah, he's one of those people isn't he if you're listening we hate you love, hate, love you i can't can't quite decide which to be honest it is one of those yeah he's certainly he's certainly uh, a talent shall we say it- itchy the killer's in it as well isn't he Tadan- tadanobu asami was he okay. yeah okay. plays hogan in this film so there's like okay. all these people that you might miss and well, yeah i mentioned yeah. i mentioned earlier um tessa thompson i i know tessa thompson maybe only from dear white people but she was great she was great here. Yeah, yeah. again, a su- superbly, superbly written character. I would say, Mark, you know more about writing than the both of us put together. I think, but I would say she was she was an interesting character. Um, yeah, she's sort of like this this kind of uh, wayward, slightly like well, more than slightly alcoholic character <laughs> yeah. who who's yeah. sort of begrudgingly involved in in every bit of action that she needs to be involved in, but then eventually sort of she coalesces with the team into some some and Mark Ruffalo's performance as well. Like Mark Ruffalo has been great as the Hulk before, but. I don't know if he's been as good as this. Like Mark Ruffalo was was wonderful. There was a bit that he delivered almost as if he were Woody Allen. I don't know if you <laughs> if you picked up on this when he first changes back from the Hulk to to uh, Bruce Banner. He yeah he has a line delivery that was like Woody Allen esque. It was wonderful. I really enjoyed it. Uh, Idris Elba for me, uh, I did, did, yeah, not as hot on on Idris Elba in this in this film. But it's not to say I it was just a bad don't performance. Think I think just... we didn't have any room for the character. Mark, where would you send on this? Well, yeah, the one with Idris Elba in particular was interesting because. Because where the tone of the film went so went quite so silly, as I mentioned earlier, they they changed his character slightly. He plays it very straight laced in the other two Thor films, but in this, they even try and give him a gag, which didn't quite sit right for me. When he's in the a forest and a load of like you know bad guys kind of show up and he gets rid of them and this is like oh these things are bloody everywhere and they try to make him funny and it's kind of yeah. that guy's not funny so that felt a little bit forced to me the fact he was there was, was was cool because it just added depth to that whole kind of thor world that all these lesser characters including ray stevenson who's like blinking you miss it but he was yeah. in there because he's part of that world and that attention to detail i think is fantastic but as i said there are a couple of places in the film where i think they had a little too much fun and it kind of went against yeah. some of what had come before it- and maybe, maybe in that case you mentioned with with the comedy line for just Elba, like you've got to play to people's strengths. And Chris Hemsworth has clearly got the ability. And and Taika Waititi has actually talked about how he saw Chris Hemsworth having more comedic mm. ability yeah, than he's ever been allowed there, yeah. to to show. Right. Whereas yeah. Chris Elba is a lot of things, and I think he's a really good actor in the right place. One of the things that he isn't is funny or a comedic actor. I don't think I've ever seen him do anything <laughs> no. funny, amusing, no. or, or you know, even a sort of funny line delivery. So maybe that's not on him. That's more like you were saying. You know, maybe that was not quite the right place to throw a joke in where you didn't really. Yeah, and I think my, my other my other slight gripe with the film, and it is only a slight gripe, is for me. I think it lost some of its gusto and energy when it left uh, when it left Jeff Goldblum behind. Um, you might get the idea that I enjoyed him in this film um, but yeah I think it, as, as it kind of went back to Asgard towards the end I thought it lost a little bit of its energy um, and kind of and then I think at times obviously it is still aware that it is a superhero film so you have to have the, the more traditional setup where they go back and resolve things it's a slight gripe but otherwise I really well, you really like you could film. almost hear that sort of a 
that sort of creaking tension towards the end yeah. where it was like oh we need to put in the yeah. action set we need pieces to fight, we need to go back and fight the villain a requisite. Yeah. And, I, and I still think it was you know they, they swerved that to a decent degree so that mm. it didn't get bogged down like the end of Wonder Woman or something like that but yeah of course you've got to have some kind of standoff and some great yeah. final final battle and when, yeah. we've, had, well, when we've had the, the Hulk um, and Thor battle already it's difficult to top what they yeah. did with that at the end of the film and maybe that that works it against it a little bit but yeah like going in i had middling expectations buoyed only really by taika watiti's presence coming out and this is honestly in terms of just pure enjoyment i think it's my favorite superhero film it's up there with my favorites as well mark where do you stand uh i still prefer guardians 2 but it's it's very close second it's up there with it okay cool. nice so um, we will be back in just a moment to round off the show and also to introduce a slightly new segment right after this. Right, so back we are. Pete, um, what's this new segment? I know nothing about this at all, so it seems like you've been planning to take over the podcast. Is Mark replacing me? Is this what's happening? Yes, the uh, new segment <laughs> is Fire One of the Hosts. So, Jack, who do you think? I, I'm thinking Paul. Get rid of Paul? Yeah, I think Paul. Okay, yeah. that's thanks, uh, thanks, Jack. unanimous yeah. on this side. Yeah. You just need good Mark input. to good input on this week's show. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, what? You shouldn't have called him a Maccabees pirate. No, I shouldn't have called him a Maccabees pirate, though. But for listeners at home, he does look a little bit like a Maccabees pirate. He, he, so, didn't, so. he didn't press record. None no, of this no. is going anywhere. We've been talking to Describe ourselves. Describe a Maccabees pirate to me. Uh, you. Okay. Cool. <laughs> so, so, so back to my glittering new segment. Um, we've been doing this thing recently, as some of you will know, uh, homework, where usually Jack, sometimes all of us are set homework. We've got to watch something. We don't have a choice. We've got seven days to do it. It's just that I want to tweak that a little bit. So I'm going to bring... it's a little bit directionless, isn't it, Pete? It, it, it sometimes lacks a bit of direction. It's a bit random. Yeah. So I've brought in the, um, the help of the esteemed film critic, David Thompson. I don't know him personally and he's not here, but what I have got <laughs> is his book. Is he replacing me on the podcast yes he is (laughs) i've got his book have you seen so it lends itself very well to this segment because all i'm going to do is ask the group have you seen we're going to pick a film at random if the answer unanimously is no then that is our homework for the week and we'll talk about it the week after simple right right? okay let's see how this goes are you picking it at random so paul you're new back uh tell me when and i will stop in david thompson's book have you seen okay stop okay paul have you seen Letter from an Unknown Woman, 1948. No. Mark, have you seen Letter from an Unknown Woman, released in 1948? Loads. No, I haven't. Jack, I don't think you can torrent this, so I'm going to assume you haven't seen it. No, I haven't. No. He really is a pirate. He really is a pirate. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, okay, so our homework for this week will be the 1948 film Letter from an Unknown Woman. Paul doesn't yet have it on Steelbook, so we'll have to uh <laughs> we'll have to find our way to that movie. It might be available online. We'll we'll find it on disc otherwise. And the Close Encounters box set has started playing its tune. Yes, of course it has. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, carry on. Please. Anyway, so yeah, <laughs> on episode 63, uh, with any luck, uh, all or some of us will be talking about Letter from an Unknown Woman, and well, I, for one, am kind of excited about that. Yes, I, I'm very much looking forward to it. We'll need to remember that as well, maybe put a bookmark in there, because I can see us forgetting this. It's but, basically yeah. a way also of us forcing ourselves to watch things that we might not watch, and also fill in like big gaps in yes. film history, because it's very easy with this show to be very much focused on films released in the last couple of years it's just the nature of the beast right new releases popcorn movies that we've seen on streaming and stuff we're going back in time a little bit and we're going to see something that hopefully will be worth the time it was worth david thompson's time it's one of his top thousand films of all time there we go then there we go how about that right so before we go then i just want to say a big thank you to mark um you are more than welcome back on the show whenever you like um, so Thanks for having us, me. Let us know if you if you want to jump on in future. You're more than welcome to. Well, um, well, when Geostorm two comes out. When Geostorm two comes out, which oh I god, never, keep me away. So probably Try never. Keep me away uh, from that. <laughs> so uh, yeah, yeah the subtitle the subtitle for that's going to be Dutch oven. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. <laughs> so yeah, so th- big, big thank you to Mark. As I said, you're more than welcome back on whenever you please. Uh, we'll give you we'll give you a few weeks rest though. Um, Cheers, so boys. We'll be back um, next week with um, a more traditional show with myself, Pete, and we might hear from Jack if he does his homework as well. So that'll be that'll be nice. So uh, yes, in the meantime, I'm out. Thank you for listening. Uh, see you next time. Shut up and sit down.